Thanks very much, Margaret. I feel like I don't need to uh, preach after the worship we've had uh, this afternoon. It's been amazing, hasn't it? It's like, well, we don't need to look at the passage. It's all there for you in the uh, worship songs we've had. But we are going to look at the passage now. I still remember sitting in my biology classroom back in 1996, aged 14 years old. You can work out how old I am in a second. As we looked inside for the first time, a pig's heart with the scalpels in hand. During that lesson, I saw for the first time in real life the left and the right atriums, the ventricle chambers, thanks, you can see a picture behind me, and most memorable of all, the heart valves. Now those heart valves will always stick in my mind. And I hope I've got these names right, because I haven't looked them up, but since that biology lesson, the bicuspid, the tricuspid, and the semilunar valves I look to Dave. Is that right? Great. I remember looking at the parts inside these heart, of, of our hearts, or the pig's heart, and being absolutely shocked. Now, just as a show of hands, I'm looking at young people over there. How many of you have done a, a heart dissection? Oh, nearly all of you. Thanks, Nikki. Okay. So I was shocked, not because of the smell of the flesh or the stale blood that day, not because of anything the teacher said, but because of the design of the heart. Did you know that these valves in the heart are specifically made to ensure the blood can only flow in one direction? That's a picture of it on the screen there. Blood cannot flow backwards, it must go forwards for any of us sitting in this room now to survive till the end of the service or not leave here with heart failure. Isn't that amazing? I spoke about Dave a second ago. He's actually, Dave reminded me of this book by Bill Bryson, which is all about the heart uh, and the human body. And I'm just going to read uh, from a page here about what Bill Bryson says about the human heart. The heart has no time for distractions. It is the, single, uh, is the most single-minded thing within you. It has just one job to do, and it does it supremely well. It beats. Slightly more than once every second, about 100,000 times a day, as many as 3.5 billion times in a lifetime, it rhythmically pulses to push blood through your body. And these aren't gentle thrusts. They're jolts, powerful enough to send blood spurting up to three metres if the aorta is severed. So if I walked up to one of you now, sorry for the graphic detail, and cut your neck, (laughs) blood would spurt out of your body a distance of three metres, potentially, depending on who you are. Thanks, Tim. It goes on. With such an unrelenting work rate, it is a miracle that most hearts last as long as they do. Every hour, your heart dispenses around 260 litres of blood. That's 6,240 litres in a day. More litres push through you in a day than are likely to be put in your car in a year. Now, that is incredible. Even more incredible than that, I thought, I'm going to buy some red food dye. I'm going to get a litre bottle of water, and I'm going to demonstrate... Very simply, it actually looks like real blood, doesn't it? Now I'm going to drink. No, I'm not. I'm not going to drink it. But that is a litre, let's say, of your blood 
260 litres go through your heart every hour. It seems unbelievable, even looking at that. Hold that thought. Why is that important? Why is that important? Well, in that moment in 1996, God opened my eyes to see the complexity of his creation. I realised not only how important my heart is, but that Jesus Christ is in the precise details of our lives. And I also became aware of how much, on a day-to-day basis, I don't take account of that. I don't think about my heart every day beating. Some of you will, some of you won't. But isn't it interesting how easy it is to forget about the most vital things in our lives? Easy to forget about Jesus in the day-to-day. Well, for the past five weeks, we've been looking in the book of Galatians. The letter that Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, or the churches in Galatia, to strengthen their faith and to warn them about going away from their faith. Because of Holiday Club this morning, we're taking a short break to have a look at Paul's letter to the Colossians. And it's quite similar. Uh, If I could have the map up, please. Okay, there's the church plants that Paul uh, planted. Uh, You can see Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey, and you can see Colossae, the city of Colossae, just to the south and Ephesus to the west. So we're looking at Paul's letter to the Colossians. And why is Paul writing this letter? Well, Paul is not actually there, he's in Rome, but he's heard that people are putting pressure on the Christians to give up their faith in Jesus. In fact, there are external powers and authorities, superstitions and fears in that city threatening to derail their dependence wholeheartedly on Jesus. You see, the Christians were being challenged by the belief, well, okay, you can worship Jesus, but you need to supplement that with something else, don't you? You can have good food in your health for your diet. Why don't you just throw in a couple of chocolate bars? That'll keep you going, won't it? You can rely on Jesus and his words, but that isn't enough to help you, is it, in serious situations? I mean, serious life and death situations. If you get sick or you want your business to flourish, surely it's wise to pay allegiance to these other powers, isn't it? Surely it's about choice. Do what you want. Believe what you want. And I wonder how many of us have had those awkward conversations with friends. I remember a few years ago, quite a long time ago, in the pub, talking to two of my uni mates about Jesus. And they gave me that really awkward look, as if to say, come on, you don't really believe this, do you, Adam? You don't really believe this Jesus died on the cross, do you? Do you? Gosh, I felt awkward. But that happens to us, doesn't it? So the main reason, uh, or one of the reasons, let's say, one of the main reasons Paul wrote this letter to the Christians is in order, if you look at verse 11, just before the passage we've got, it's to strengthen, strengthen their faith. To strengthen their faith. So we're going to spend the next 20 minutes or so looking at these verses, which actually I think are in the running to be some of the greatest verses in the whole of the Bible. 
They're in the running, because I know some people here will have favourite verses that's not here. But I think now is a good time to pray. So why don't we do that together, as then we unpack what Paul is saying in these verses. Father God, I ask that by the means of this word today, and by your Holy Spirit, you would exalt Christ in our hearts and in our minds now. And that we would be protected from false teaching that distorts Christ and everything that tries to distort the truth of who Jesus is in this life. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. I want you to think about a couple of things this afternoon as we go through this passage. I want you to be thinking about how you encounter Jesus in Paul's letter to the Colossians for yourself. Let's take our time and focus on who Paul is saying Jesus really is. So I've got two main points uh, that I think are important from this passage. Point one, the supremacy of Christ. That's quite a big section, 15 to 20. And then we've got quite a uh, a shorter section, verses 21 to 23. The supremacy of Christ in what he's done. So let me reiterate that. Paul is talking about the supremacy of Christ, and then he talks about the supremacy of Christ in what he's done. Let's go. Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Jesus is God. Do you see that? Jesus is God in human form. The Bible says that no one can see God the Father and live. But we know from the Bible that thousands of people saw Jesus when he was alive. And the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the exact representation of of the invisible God. That means all of God's character, all of his goodness, all of his majesty, all of his power, his knowledge and supreme worth is poured into and displayed in the person of Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.19 says, For in him, that is Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And this divine son came to earth and clothed himself with humanity. That means Jesus has had, let's go with has, a body. Like you and I, and he has a human nature. There is now and forever a God-man. And God the son never gives up his body. He rose from the dead with it. He ascended from heaven with it. He possesses this human body in heaven today, right now, glorified according to the Father. And one day, the Bible says, he will return visibly to us in his body. Many people, including his disciples, could see Jesus and touch Jesus while he was on the earth. And the Bible says, we will see him one day with our own eyes when he comes again. In John 14, 9, Jesus actually says to Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Now, the second half of verse 15 says, Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. Now, in our Western culture, when we see this word firstborn, we can automatically think, well, Jesus was the first thing that was created. Can you see that? Jesus was the first thing that was created. But the Bible does not say first created over creation. 
The word firstborn over all creation is loaded with Old Testament history and significance. So Paul is being very intentional by using that word. Firstborn for Jesus is to do with rank, status, his priority. The order of all things. Uh, The Bible here is saying, Paul is saying that Jesus is the firstborn heir of all things. Now, I don't know if you're the firstborn in your family. We don't really think about it much in the UK. Certainly, we don't in my family until it comes to things like inheritance. But uh, the firstborn receives everything from the parents. Okay? The firstborn receives all the finance when they pass away. They receive property, cars, all those sorts of things. Now, that sounds wonderful, doesn't it? But it's a huge responsibility. Looking at the young people, would you be responsible, the mature firstborn, who would hand out all the inheritance to your brothers and sisters? A couple of nods, a couple of smiles. What does that mean? Would you be the responsible one in the pecking order of your family? A couple of years ago, my grandparents died, and they left uh, my family some inheritance. Uh, And they'd written out the inheritance, different percentages to different people in the family. I won't go into the details. But my dad took the lion's share because he is the firstborn. He was their only son. Then, next was my brother, and then me. So you can see, without going into detail, how it works. Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. The Father, God, is pleased to hand over the inheritance of the whole world to Jesus. That is what Paul is saying here. Jesus has complete authority over the earth and has the right to share the inheritance out among his brothers and sisters. Well, the amazing thing is, the Bible says that if we believe in Jesus and put our faith in Jesus, we are his brothers and sisters. And so, can you see what that's saying? Well, one day, Jesus will share the inheritance of creation, the earth, with you and me. Now, that is mind-blowing. I'm not going to try and unpack what that means, what it looks like. Let's look at verse 16. Jesus Christ created everything, and he holds everything together. For in him all things are created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Jesus Christ created everything we see in the world, everything in our universe, what we can see with our eyes and what we can't see with our eyes. Jesus is above all kings, beyond all kings and queens, all superpowers, all democracies, all dictatorships. He created them. Jesus has supreme power beyond our finite imaginations. He has not only created everything in our world, Paul says, but he created the whole universe and everything in the universe. Now, a lot of people were on Space Academy this week, and the theme oh yeah, so we did yeah. and the theme of the Academy so you can't do that uh, was space. Uh, can I have the slide that's got the Hubble stuff on, please? Great. During Holiday Club, Anna and Tim had some of these pictures up on the background uh, to the club. And I was just looking at those, thinking, hold on a second. I'm looking at this passage, looking at that stuff, thinking, Jesus Christ created all of that. Jesus Christ created all of that because... He is the Lord over planets and stars and galaxies and comets. 
He created our solar system and every system we will ever discover. Jesus Christ created all of nature. Can I have the whale slide, please? Living plants and animals on land, in the sea, and in the air. Jesus is Lord over all creation. Jesus created the world, and he sustains the world. Jesus Christ is the source of all creation. By him, all things were created. Things with a visible naked eye, things visible with a telescope, things visible with a microscope, all things visible with a drone, and everything that's invisible, both physical and spiritual. He created darkness and he created light. Jesus is the creator of the world. Who created the universe? Jesus. Who created the starry wonders above us? Jesus. Who flung the stars out into space? Jesus. Who scooped out the deep oceans? Jesus. Don't worry, the sermon's not all like this. Who stacked up the mountains? Who made you and me? The answer is Jesus Christ. Paul claims, in other words, that if you check the label of everything created, it would all say the same thing. I can't look at my label, but it says created by Jesus Christ. Can you imagine the power that Jesus has? Thanks. I used to be a geography teacher, and uh, I used to teach physical, human, and urban geography. And I went into geography teaching thinking, I really enjoy teaching physical geography. Can I just teach that? Well, the answer is no, you have to teach all of it. But it struck me, as I was teaching, that Jesus Christ created the Earth's structure, and he holds it together. Tectonic plates, inner and outer core, magma, he is Lord over it all. He's the Lord over birth, life and death. He is Lord over the whole of history. We know that the whole of the Old Testament talks about Jesus. He was born and then the rest of history is about Jesus. He created every race of people, body, shape, culture, nation, race and language. He is Lord over everything you could ever study in school, university or college. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) We think we're creators, don't we? We're not. Not the way Jesus Christ is. When we make things, we rearrange what's already there. We rearrange chemicals and make medicine. We rearrange molecules and make atomic bombs. We rearrange materials and we make a house. When Jesus Christ brought creation into existence, he didn't rearrange anything because he was before all things. There wasn't anything to arrange. Jesus Christ is absolute reality, absolute power, and everything else is secondary. And that is what Paul is saying in this passage here. Jesus Christ is the most important person in the universe. And when we go back to look at the detail of the heart, and we look at how those valves work, then surely we've got to conclude that Jesus Christ is also present in the details of our lives. The absolute details. A God who created everything and yet still cares about you and me on a daily basis. Which means he was there when you were born. He was with you when you learned to walk and when you learn to talk, 
He was with you when you had your first cup of tea in England. He saw your first heartbreak. He was there when you had your first feeling of love, when you were sick, when you were sad, when you were in pain, when you were joyful or happy. Jesus is with you in all of that throughout this life and into eternity. So this is a sharp reminder for the church in Colossae, isn't it? This ancient church was being threatened by all these powers I said before. Principalities, powers, superstition, and it was riddled with fear. And Paul says to them, and he says to us, when you belong to Jesus Christ, you are safe. This is your father's world. This is the kingdom of God. This is your saviour's creation. His point is that whatever powers there may be, invisible or visible, Christ is ultimately the Lord of them all. Verse 17, what holds the whole universe together? Christ. He is the sustainer of the whole of creation. He is what prevents the cosmos from collapsing into chaos. I stand here now, and I take for granted that I can stand here. If Jesus Christ wasn't in charge, I would melt into a blob before your eyes. So we can take comfort and strength as we rest in this truth. Whether in political wrangling, the war in Ukraine, family struggles, personal finances, your daily routines, or the unexpected situations you'll face today, we need to remember that Jesus Christ is Lord over all these things. I wonder what encourages you, what strengthens your faith. Yesterday, I had a bit of a freak out about moving to caution. I thought to myself, can I actually go and leave London? We've been here for 10 years. Can I actually go and be a pastor at this church? I had a little voice whispering in my ear, give it up. Give it up, make the phone call, tell them you made a mistake. Oof, what do you do in those situations? I was with a very wise, godly woman, my mother-in-law, <laughs> who sat me down and she said four things to me. Number one, I want you to think about the call you had to go to Corsham. What, how did God lead you there? What was that like? Number two, remember Satan is real and he will do everything he can to tempt you away from Jesus. Number three, who is the God that we worship? Who is the God we worship? Well, it says right here, doesn't it, who he is? And number four has just gone out of my mind. <laughs> but the point is that this is the God I worship and the God I trust. And God wants good things for us. Oh, I remembered it. She said, it's not about you. Ministry is not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about what he wants to do, not about what you want to do. I didn't sleep much last night, but I woke up this morning feeling refreshed. Feeling like, right, let's get back to the strength that I have in my faith. Let's continue walking with Jesus. I mean, that is where Jesus is, isn't it? The creator of the universe, yet he's in the detail of our lives. Verse 18 says, Jesus Christ is the head of the body, the church. 
He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So here is Christ, now presented as the head of the church. Now, in the Bible, there's many different ways that the church, which is the family of Jesus, is represented. You may have heard, in 1 Peter 2, we are called God's holy temple. In another way, we are uh, described as the family of God. Or we're part of a royal kingdom. We're also called a vineyard, a flock where uh, the shepherd is tending us, or a bride heading towards the day of our wedding. But in Paul's letter to the Colossians, he chose to use this image of the church as a body. And he used it in 1 Corinthians, which we studied last year, didn't we, as a church. Christ is the head of the body. Now, if you picture a body, my body, there's a head on top. A bit weird if there wasn't. But why is Paul using that analogy? To show that Christ is at the top. Christ holds everything together. He rules over all churches. He rules over Grace Church. By his spirit, he directs our movements. We think we're in charge. What a joke. Christ is in charge. And all the functions of the body of Christ exist to serve the head, and the head governs everything. The heart beats when the signals go backwards and forwards to the head. The lungs breathe when the signals go backwards and forwards to the head. The head is Jesus Christ. Now, that's important for the Colossians to know that church is not just a social club for like-minded enthusiasts, but it is a body that Jesus Christ has created and rules over by the power of his spirit. Verse 18 also says that Jesus is firstborn among the dead. Now, Jesus was not the first to be resuscitated after death. Actually, many others were. He himself raised people from the dead, yet Jesus is still firstborn from the dead. And Paul means two things by saying that. First of all, Jesus is in the position of preeminence. He surpasses all others. He is superior to all others. He's the greatest of all that have been raised from the dead. Jesus raised his friend Lazarus, you'll remember. But Lazarus died again. Jesus raised a little girl from the dead, but she also died, physically separated from her body. In fact, all the people that Jesus raised from the dead, and the two people, or more people, that the apostles raised from the dead, all of them are dead now, but Jesus lives. He lives forever, and he will never again be separated from the body that God gave him On the third day when he rose up from the grave, Jesus has a resurrection body. That's why he is firstborn among the dead. And there will come a time, the Bible says, when a great multitude, greater than anyone can count, from every tribe and language and nation, will be raised up from our graves and we will stand around his heavenly throne, all of us, in resurrection bodies together. In that moment, Jesus will still be the firstborn among the dead. He will be in the position of preeminence. That's a word we don't use nowadays, but it means supreme over all, even supreme over our resurrection bodies. And the truth is that that is the only healing, the perfect healing, that we will ever have in this life. The only perfect healing there will be for AIDS, the only healing, perfect healing there will be for cancer, for diabetes, for all of these dreaded illnesses. It is a resurrection body given to us as a gift from God. 
And that is the future in which we're heading. That is the future the Colossians were heading for. A place with a resurrection body free from all death, mourning, crying and pain, with Jesus as the firstborn among the dead. That is the hope that we have, and every day we live, we're moving closer to that reality. Let me summarise point one, the supremacy of Christ. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus is the firstborn and heir of all nations. The whole world belongs to him. Jesus created everything and holds everything together by the power of his spirit. Jesus is the supreme head of the church. Questions. I wonder how that makes you feel about Jesus. What are you thinking as you encounter Jesus in these verses? You see, as Christians, we are not to be fooled by the powers and authorities around us. The outside influences, the small voices that we hear that look impressive and have the appearance of wisdom. You know, feeling like backing out of going to caution seems like, oh, that weight would be lifted off me. But I'm not sure that that's wisdom. No, instead, Christians need to pay attention to Jesus and see him for who he is. We must look to Jesus and see that he's in everything. He's all around us and we are part of his everlasting kingdom. Now, point two, which is shorter. The supremacy of Christ in what he's done, verse 21 to 23. How does this knowledge of Jesus as the supreme creator and head of the church help us in Worcester Park in 2023? So what? Now that might seem simple to you. Sometimes I do a uh, daily devotion with Jonathan at the breakfast table and he's reading a book on creation. And what the author, Louis Giglio, has tried to do is take a fact from science and then take a fact from the Bible truth and put them together and so sometimes in the mornings we wade through huge statistics about the universe and this and that and And sometimes i sit there and my head is spinning like whoa so what it leaves you saying so what i mean that might be bad but it leaves you saying so what so what does this mean for us in worcester park in 2023 verse 21 says Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Why is it important to us that Jesus is the perfect creator who took on human form? The reason is because he went to the cross to die for our sins. He didn't have to go to the cross. He chose to go to the cross. And by going to the cross, it says he reconciled us to God so that he might present us holy, without blemish, and free from accusation. Christ died so we can be free from accusation. Now, what does that mean? That means free from a conscience that is always twisting us this way and that way. As I said before, we have an accuser, Satan, who is called in Revelation the accuser of our brothers and sisters, and he's described as evil. He is the one who makes us hold on to our sin, constantly think about it, so it's gnawing away at us. 
But Christ has died for us so that we can surrender to Christ and we're presented free from the devil's accusations. Pastor Alistair Begg explains it like this. Satan comes into our imaginations, into the courtroom, and he says to the father, look at that sinner. How can you declare him justified? Well, yes, says the father, Adam is a sinner. The charges you bring are valid, but look at my son's hands and look at my son's feet and look at the wounds in my son's side. Who are you to condemn Adam? It is Christ who justifies. That's amazing good news, isn't it? Christ removes the accusation from us. You are no longer alienated from God. You are reconciled. You are no longer guilty. You are free from accusation. So why are you still beating yourself up about those past sins? Those sins that weigh you down and make you feel unworthy to serve God. In Micah 7.19 and Psalm 101.12, it says in these words, Stop dredging up what God has cast into the deepest depths of the sea. Look to the cross and see Jesus' blood shed to cleanse your darkest sin. See, only Jesus, the perfect Lord of creation, can be the perfect saviour we need. Only the one who created the whole universe can save us. Doesn't that make you want to give all praise in the world to Jesus? Jesus is the supreme creator and the supreme saviour. There is no power or authority or rule that wants to share creation with you or has the power to, like Jesus does. There is no other ruler or authority that will love you like Jesus loves you. Does this help to strengthen your faith in Jesus Christ? Paul's hymn here in 15 to 20 is like the world's best firework display, isn't it? It's like the best picture of a sunset you've ever seen. It's like the best performance of the world's greatest orchestra. And for those sports fans, it's like the greatest football team scoring the final goal. Paul wants us to read these verses and say, Wow! To know Jesus is to know the perfect creator and therefore the perfect saviour. Jesus Christ created everything, holds everything together. He is the only and perfect saviour who can change our entire perspective about life. It enables us to have a greater endurance and more patience through the suffering we go through in this life, doesn't it? Look to Jesus Verse 23, our faith keeps us grounded, steadfast and hopeful. How does this apply to us in Worcester Park? I was thinking on Friday, I was in uh, 92 Central Road uh, for the uh, Warm Space Ministry. And uh, what we do is we set up a room at the back and we have a radiator, we have free tin coffee, we have cake. And what our aim is to do is to engage with people in the community. Like people who walk in the shop, into the charity shop, looking for curtains or whatever they're looking for, and out pops one of us, 
Hi! And we want to engage with them. It's scary. It's scary. I mean, imagine you walked into a charity shop and then someone just popped out of a curtain to say hello. The great thing is, though, that we can approach strangers with sensitivity and talk to them and engage in conversation because Jesus Christ is with us. He's in that room. He's in that shop. On Thursday, we finished the last session of the bereavement course. And we went from seven people down to two. And uh, I was thinking to myself, this is not what we intended. This is not what we intended. We started with seven, we're down to two. What is going on here? Should we have bothered carrying on? And yet, with those two people in the room, we saw God at work in their lives. We saw people who were broken and hurting open up and be healed by Jesus Christ right in front of our eyes. It's amazing. Those are two applications. Here's another one. When we go through suffering, we will know that Jesus is always with us and he will never leave us because we are in his kingdom. Jesus knows us. He understands the challenges we face with relationships, housing, finance, work. And the truth is he never wastes our suffering. He's renewing us day by day. Sometimes we wonder, why do we suffer? And Jesus is with us and will use our suffering to help others. At school, college, uni, wherever you are, in the office, we don't need to be scared of openly reading our Bibles at break time. Why? Because we belong to Jesus, and we're reading words of truth that belong to our creator God. That is more powerful than anyone in that building or facility. And maybe you work at home and you feel lonely and isolated. Well, we need not fear, because we have a community of brothers and sisters in Christ who will support and encourage us because of what Jesus has done for us. If you know someone who's lonely and works on their own, send them a text, give them a call, encourage them. Because of the encouragement we have, knowing who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Final illustration as we close. You could read this list here and think, right, okay, that's important, that's interesting, right. Right, school tomorrow, let's get on with it. And forget everything that's here. Like I said in the beginning, the detail of the heart. We can easily forget that as we're walking around. I wonder if you've ever seen the Matrix movie, the first movie. I don't know how, how long ago that came out. But there's an amazing scene where the uh, hero, Neo, is given a choice between taking two pills. The red pill or the blue pill. Now, I want you to imagine that taking the red pill will lead to you potentially having an unsettling and life-changing experience with the gospel. The pill will change what you believe about your life forever as you realise that Jesus Christ is actually in control of your life and you're not. He is the perfect creator and the perfect saviour. Or you can take the blue pill, I hope I've got that right, the blue pill, where this story will end, you'll close your Bible, you'll wake up in bed tomorrow morning and believe whatever you want to believe. We have a choice, don't we, in what we do. We have a perfect saviour, a perfect creator. And so Paul is writing to the Colossians and he's writing to us 
to encourage us in our faith. Why don't we pray together? Father God, we thank you that Jesus Christ is the supreme treasure of our lives. Thank you for everything you've created. Thank you for the consciousness you've given us to look up every morning and see your glory through creation, through the things around us. Thank you that Jesus Christ is the perfect saviour and the only one who can save us, the only one we'll ever need. Please help us this week strengthen our faith, Lord. Help us to remember these words. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen.